This is the Thank You 72 podcast brought to you by the Wisconsin Alumni Association. Here's your host, Todd Pritchard. Every November, the nation celebrates Native American Indian Heritage Month. In this podcast, we celebrate a UW-Madison alumna who has spent her life fighting for Native American rights and social justice. I care about people and I can't, uh, I don't accept injustice and I wish I could do more. So I'm an activist and I'm an advocate for the people, I guess. That would be the, probably the best thing to describe me. That is Ada Deer. She just released a new memoir, Making a Difference, My Fight for Native Rights and Social Justice, with book contributor Theda Perdue. Deer grew up on the Menominee Indian Reservation near Kashina, Wisconsin. Inspired by her mother's strong will and activism on behalf of the tribe, Deer would leave the reservation to attend the University of Wisconsin. And so began her life of firsts. First Menominee tribal member to earn an undergraduate degree at UW-Madison in 1957. First American Indian to earn a master's degree in social work from Columbia University. She used that education to work with disadvantaged women and families. First Native American woman to run for Congress in Wisconsin. Deer was the first woman appointed as Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs for the U.S. Department of the Interior. She later became the first American Indian woman to head the Bureau of Indian Affairs, serving more than 550 tribes. Her own Menominee Nation elected Deer as its very first female chair. Deer organized a grassroots movement to restore federal tribal status to the Menominee Nation. Her lobbying in Washington, D.C., led to the 1973 signing of the Menominee Restoration Act. It was a hallmark of Deer's advocacy for American Indian rights. From 2000 to 2007, Deer directed the American Indian Studies Program at UW-Madison. I've been the first American Indian in in a lot of things. First woman, first Indian, first social worker, you know, first. I just go through life being the first. Not because I aim to do it. It just kind of works out that way. Because I'm willing to put in the work and it interests me and I have a passion for people and passion for life. And so you don't have to sit around being a victim or just twiddling your thumbs. I caught up with Ada as she visited campus as part of the Culture Keepers Elders in Residence program. It's a new UW-Madison initiative to improve the experience of American Indian and Alaska Native students by hosting Native elders on campus for extended visits and educational exchanges. We talked about Ada's mother, Constance, her ultimate role model. Constance came from a well-to-do family in Philadelphia. A strong-minded, independent woman, Constance left her home to work as a nurse in the mountains of Appalachia and later on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota, where she embraced Native culture, attended powwows, and learned to ride horses. When she moved for work on the Menominee Indian Reservation, she asked, where are the horses? Someone said, go talk to Joe Deer. They would later marry and raise five children. Ada was the eldest. I liked uh, where we lived. We had a very nice log cabin, but it was a little small for that many kids and parents and oh, assorted cats and dogs every now and then. <laughs> uh, but it was on the banks of the Wolf River, and you could hear the river in the wintertime, or in the summer too, depending on the length, the depth of it. Uh, There were birds and I learned the love of the land in that atmosphere, which is really important in my uh, growing up. My father liked to hunt, especially deer, 
and he liked to fish. Uh, you know, we had lakes there and we had rivers there, and so it was very common. And I liked the I liked the, especially liked the fish, and, and my mother would cook the venison, and it was it was nice, you know, it was good. But it was a hard life because we, we lived in a one-room log cabin with no running water, no electricity, an outhouse, and um, every day you had to spend too much time on these domestic tasks, hauling water, chopping wood, and all that stuff. And I said, I don't want to do this. I want to read. <laughs> so it wasn't, it was an okay childhood, but my father drank, and you know, there's mean drunks and there's uh, happy drunks. He was a mean drunk, and so that was hard. But to his credit, he went to work every day in a tribal lumber mill, so we didn't starve. Uh, there were lots of people that were hungry because both parents drank. My mother didn't drink, and my father did, and he was always angry because she wouldn't join him. And so then they had, and she didn't want to anyway. So and she's a very strong-minded person, and she conveyed that gene to me, and I am. So I decided that, no, I am not getting married and having children because there's millions of women on the planet that have to do that, and lots, too many people choose it, and I'm going to study and do and be and accomplish something, and do something, which I've been able to do. Her mother started bringing Ada to the Menominee Tribal General Council meetings when she was just four years old. Deer watched her mother battle for member rights, and Ada was mesmerized. The reservation didn't have a high school, so Ada went to public school in Shawano and then Milwaukee. She visited UW-Madison for the first time as part of a leadership program for high school students. Ada stayed in a dorm, met people from across Wisconsin, and visited the state capitol. She loved it and wanted more. And she got it, thanks to her tribe. They decided to award me the only tribal scholarship. There was one tribal scholarship. I'm surprised they even had one. And so they, they I guess this letter because I was investigating wax and I was thinking about some other possible schools and stuff. And I and there I got this letter saying I uh, I would have $1,000 a year for four years. And so that was enough for my basic expenses, housing and tuition and books. But I then I didn't have any money. So I got a job. Well, I was a dorm waitress for a while. And I worked at the medical school library, I don't know, doing something with the books. And so... But that was like 20 hours a week, and I was really sad that I had to work because that was 20 hours a week that I couldn't study. But okay, you know, so that was it. And well, tell me about that university experience. What was that like for you? I mean, it must have been just a, coming to a totally different world to a certain uh, yeah, extent. Yeah, yeah. But my mother oriented us all to go to school and get an education, so it wasn't like I was befuddled. I was fascinated by everything. It was It was joyful. Because we had an indoor toilet and we had cafeteria and with good food that was prepared. We all ate together downstairs in the dining room and we had roommates and that was interesting. Everything was interesting. I was just really excited about it. Wow. You could invite a professor for dinner in the dorms and I liked that. And so pretty soon I started inviting and they would come. And people, the girls, well, they could do the same thing. You know, they said, well, how did you do that? So I said, well, it says here that you could have, according to the dorm instructions, you can have a professor uh, for dinner. 
invite him to dinner. And I said, you can do it too. But everybody always wanted to sit at my table because I had interesting professors. Well, I mean, to, even today, I learned this early. I, mean, I do stuff, right? A lot of stuff. You know, Indians, women, politics. <laughs> and people say, how much do you do? It's, it's not a mystery. You just get to it, you know? And and then then door, doors open up and then more things happen. And so I'm accustomed to succeeding, not failing. You're listening to the Thank You 72 podcast from the Wisconsin Alumni Association. On November 19th, 2019, Ada Deer and Theta Purdue will discuss Deer's new book at an event titled UW-Madison Presents Ada Deer, Making a Difference. It starts at 6 p.m. inside the Memorial Union's Shannon Hall, located at 800 Langdon Street on the UW-Madison campus. For more information, visit uwalumni.com. Now back to our interview with Ada Deer and your host, Todd Pritchard, Director of Media and Public Relations from the Wisconsin Alumni Association. So you were a doer. So what are the doer things that you're most proud of in your life? Well, starting with my family, I'm happy that I was able to influence and I also helped a lot uh, with my brothers and sisters setting an example for them. And Four also, brothers and sisters, right? Yeah, I have two brothers and sisters, right? But my one brother, was he didn't go to college. He went to lumber grading school. Uh, and he had an okay life for a while, but he drank a lot. And so he had a problem. Okay. Um, but my other brothers and sisters, I feel really fulfilled that, that they have got good educations and became professional people. So I'm very proud of that. And it gives me a lot of satisfaction to know that because they followed me and listened to me, and my mother too, my mother was right there. But my father, this was way beyond him, you know, so he didn't really object, but he didn't really know how to help. I'm very proud of my work with the my tribe, the Menominees, and that was a very significant achievement, but it wasn't mine alone. It was the efforts of the Menominee people, and I happened to be there and uh, willing to put in the work because I really love the land and I love our people, I love our forest and it was and if we hadn't done this they would have it would have been changed, you know, with who knows what would have happened. May not exist, I, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much you know about Indian affairs, but the country still doesn't know what, what to do with us. <laughs> it's always a problem. But anyway, we achieved a very historical change in policy. This is the first time in the history of this country that a small tribe like us could work through the political system and achieve a re historic reversal of major policy. And I did a lot of work there, but a lot of the other people did too. It was not a, low, a single thing. That is too big a project for you know one person. And so, uh, first of all, we got terminated in 1954 by the federal government, and they abolished the tribal government. The, the, the entire reservation became subject to state taxation. They closed the hospital that didn't meet state standards. We were not recognized as a federally, we were not, uh, we lost our status as a federally recognized tribe. So they abolished the tribal government, and they just, it was a life of terrible poverty. I don't know why they thought that that uh, that would work. 
Back in the 1950s, the federal government started what is known as the termination policy. The goal? To accelerate the assimilation of Native Americans into society to the point that officials were trying to wipe out Native American culture and languages. I'd like to bring in Aaron Birdbear into the conversation. Aaron is a Mandan, Hidatsa, and Diné First Nations member. Aaron was recently named to the newly created full-time position of Tribal Relations Director at UW-Madison. So Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us about Ada. Tell me, you've called Ada the most influential Native American of the 20th century. Why is that? Many of us uh, Native Americans consider a gentleman named Vine Deloria and Ada Deer as these uh, amazing leaders who helped create this space for my generation and the generations to follow to linguistically, culturally, and and sovereign, and in some sense of sovereignty, uh, be the First Nation peoples our ancestors had hoped for. So, in many ways, you know, I'm the wildest dreams of my ancestors, and I have Ada Deer and Vine Deloria to thank um, for their efforts in helping us uh, and helping the U.S. government understand what sovereignty really means, and and how both of them, in their different ways, were able to help hold another sovereign entity accountable for its treaty promises it made to us First Nations peoples. So that's what Ada was talking about when when she was fighting to reverse termination for her tribe. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How, how did that transpire? So Ada really, I think, fundamentally understood how important land is to the well-being of First Nations peoples, including the Menominee. And with termination happening, uh, with this uh, assimilation on steroids, as we describe it, it's a way to accelerate the United States' main goal uh, of the 20th century for Native peoples, at least in terms of Indian policy, which was the eradication, the destruction of all Native American language and culture from planet Earth. That was their goal. And termination is, is assimil- assimilation on steroids in that if you say you no longer have a home, that we're not going to recognize you as tribal citizens, um, that we're just going to say you're now, you know, Joe Smith in the USA and, and you live in a county. Um, it's not necessarily a, a parcel of land that um, would have been viewed as a place where you could have sovereignty over that land forever, which was initially guaranteed the Menominee in the 1854 uh, Wolf, um, what's it called, the 1854 Wolf River Treaty, guaranteed them 250,000 acres in their former ancestral lands. Um, which they would have uh, sovereignty over that land forever. So Ada recognized the importance of this land base that shaped their culture, their language, who they are as a people. And she decided to remove herself from her kind of pathway toward a law degree at the time and dedicate her skills and capacities to organizing her community. And so the first and foremost goal that Ada brought her organizing capacities um, is to help with this grassroots movement, uh, to halt land sales, uh, restore the tribe to federal status and the land to federal trust, and to rekindle tribal culture. And so they're with termination and kind of a, a disconnection from this place um, as a community who used to hold this land communally. Um, and the U.S. legislators at the time, kind of this McCarthy area, the Red Scare, uh, viewed Native Americans as communistic in, in holding communal land and operating it as such. And the Menominee had resisted uh, individual land ownership um, by all kind of coercion and means, the US had been, USA had tried to instill an individual land ownership to tribes who were holding their lands communally. Uh, the Menominee successfully resisted, but termination was something they could not resist. And so 
you know, A to D, I think, recognize, okay, I have to help my community organize, uh, build coalitions, and be able to, once again, have our land in a communal part, communally held that will allow us to sustain and rekindle in our cultures and language and way of being. And so I, that's when I kind of see Ada's leadership of saying, okay, I have these skills and capacities. I know how to get people to work together. I know how to build coalitions. I've learned this skill set uh, through uh, my education at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and her social work degree from Columbia. And I think she just brought this incredible will to power. Um, she had amazing parents who instilled with her a sense of how to advocate for something that you believe is right. And and she brought all these disparate factions together um, to be able to organize and, and think about these three major goals of halting land sales, restoring the tribe to federal status, and the land to federal trust, and rekindling Menominee culture. And we see just in a massive grassroots effort. Um, there's protests, demonstrations at Legend Lake, this kind of artificially created lake to enhance property value of this now kind of privately held property on the Menominee uh, County, formerly the Menominee Reservation. There's protest march from Menominee County to the Wisconsin State Capitol. There's picketing of uh, First Wisconsin's offices in Milwaukee. And there's a series of lawsuits challenging land sales and uh, various kind of aspects of this corporation that now had to represent the Menominee people. And I think it's just a testament to her will to power to be able to bring these disparate factions together to focus on these three explicit goals. And uh, it's why we kind of consider her one of the most important intellectuals of the 20th century is the ability to build these coalitions and to advance this particular agenda uh, collectively with the spirit of all these different people, which she says there's too many to think. She can't even remember how many people put all this incredible effort. And she's in many ways a figurehead of this modern Indian sovereignty movement that we really see clearly in this effort by Menominee people to regain control over their lives, to be able to have a government that reflects their cultural values. And, and so I think that's just the amazing capacities of Ada Deer that we see in bringing her leadership and in, in, in getting people to come to a common consensus on different items of, of importance to them and allowing them to be so successful as a grassroots movement. And then she led the efforts and help the efforts of many other tribes to do the same thing, right? Yeah, when she gets to national leadership, uh, she, you know, she has this goal in the Bureau of Indian Affairs as she's the Assistant Secretary, Department of Interior, to really think about, you know, this is a problematic institution. The Bureau of Indian Affairs has been problematic since its beginning. It was created in the Department of War, for instance. Uh, that gives you a clue as to what the goal of that office was initially. Uh, and then there was a lot of uh, corruption, um, you know, over $12 billion was lost of Indian assets that was uh, demonstrated by the recent Cobell lawsuit against the Bureau of Indian Affairs, a class action lawsuit of 500,000 Native Americans, of which I was a participant in. Uh, so gross corruption and mismanagement of our resources. And Ada says, okay, but we still need this agency to help us. It, it does have the capacity to help. And at her time of leadership of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know, I think it's about 90% Native American staff at that point uh, from, you know, a non-Native staff uh, in the 1960s and early 70s. So trying to transform a massive institution to do better work on behalf of Native Americans. And, and ultimately, you know, in her efforts to showcase how the eradication and destruction of Native American culture, Native American language, um, was a disastrous and failed policy. And in doing so, in demonstrating that, you know, Native American culture is an incredible asset for the success of Native Americans, um, ultimately leads to 
1975 Indian Self-Determination and Educational Assistance Act, which finally formally ends assimilation and termination as U.S. policy. Although Kennedy and Johnson had kind of backed off on those policies, and Nixon issues his special address on Indian affairs in 1970. It's not law until 1975. So it's, it's, it's hard to imagine, I think, for most people. But until I was in elementary school, it was technically uh, my languages and cultures were criminalized under U.S. law. And with the whole goal of trying to get us to lose those cultures, not understanding that those are assets for strength and are assets for success here in Turtle Island, here what is now called the United States. So Ada's efforts, you know, made my generation and the generations to follow uh, just a, a place of safety and a place of well-being um, and a place of recovery. And instead of a place of hostility, a place of violence and a place of oppression um, that the generations of Ada and, and those before her faced uh, in the colonization of this continent. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. And thanks for explaining the impact of, of Ada and her life and her work. Like I said, we're uh, my ancestors' wildest dreams. And it's on the intellectual uh, you know, backbone of Vine Deloria and the amazing will to power that Ada Deer had to help her own First Nation negotiate you know, the darkest times they ever had in the 1960s and 70s when they're terminated and, and plunged from a prosperous nation into just abject poverty full of incredible ills. Uh, immediately after termination, one out of three um, of all Menominee uh, were, were tested and, and showed uh, tuberculosis disease. And so the Menominee collapse under this policy, and, and Ada, in her amazing skills and powers, demonstrates how flawed it is, and it, it illuminates to the entire United States that you know termination and assimilation are flawed policies, and it sets a new course, uh, this modern Indian sovereignty movement, and she, Vine Deloria, Billy Frank Jr., innumerable other Native American leaders across the continent, and all this grassroots work uh, help us you know, become uh, healthier and more vibrant uh, people um, following the ways of our ancestors. And, and I have Ada Deer to thank for, for all of that, and it's something I, I treasure. Ada Deer once told a Washington Post reporter this when fighting against tribal termination. Mainly, I want to show people who say nothing can be done in this society that it just isn't so. You don't have to collapse just because there's a federal law in your way. Change it. Those two simple words, change it, are inscribed in Alumni Park at UW-Madison, a tribute to Deer and her amazing life. We end this podcast with some final thoughts from Ada Deer. I feel good about my life, very fulfilled because I've succeeded at uh, everything that I've done, but it's mainly through hard work. I just do what I do, and it's exciting, you know. And I said, you can do stuff too. Thanks for listening to the Thank You 72 podcast. For more interviews with amazing UW alumni, visit thankyou72.org. That's thankyou72.org.